0: Welcome to the State of Mind Podcast, where we bring you the stories underneath the slogans. My name is Mike Stroh, and on today's episode, we have a prestigious guest named Michael Collins, who is the founder of SugarAddiction.com and the Quit Sugar Summit. He is the past chairman and current board member of the Addiction Institute and has been completely sugar-free for over 30 years and work closely with many people to help them regain their lives that have been ravaged by sugar addiction. He is in recovery from substance use disorder for over 35 years and speaks on a variety of recovery-based topics. In this episode, we talk about his journey through sobriety and also into... A sugar free life and how he raised two kids basically sugar free their whole lives, and specifically, absolutely sugar free from zero to six years old. And for anyone out there, parent or not, that is a Herculean feat. So, Michael shares a ton of great insights into food addiction, sugar addiction. We also talk about the health industry's failure really to address addiction. Sugar and food addiction is a huge factor in people's inability to stay healthy and to maintain diets and all those other kind of things. It was a really insightful discussion. I think you'll learn a lot about it. That being said, I am asking you to subscribe, to share this, to participate in these conversations. Get in touch with me, mike at startswithme.ca. Check us out on all the channels and please support us in any way you possibly can. I would sincerely appreciate that. So, without further ado, I bring you Michael Collins. So, Michael, welcome. And I always ask, you know, our esteemed guests to introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about what they're up to and, and how they got here.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Mike. It's, uh, it's always a the, the, the Mike Club. We always end up with uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been to a business meeting and three of your name, Mike, and you know you got to no, I'm the other guy. Yeah. Anyway, um, thanks for having me. i i really appreciate mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, I got a podcast version. It's kind of short, so I'll, but I'll you know I'll I'll cut it down so it doesn't take forever. But you know I I. I <laughs> I don't want to sound like Steve Martin, but I grew up as a regular kid, you know, I think like we all did. My mom was a sugar junkie. She just loved sugar. I mean, she just really, her mom died when she was eight years old. And uh, they made a little deal. They owned the country store across the way, the family did. And that anytime that she could walk across the road and, and get whatever she wanted and put it on her account. So it was a wonderful gesture for an eight year old who just lost her mom. But she didn't realize there was no science back then. And she literally believed that sugar was love. And her aunt, who she grew up with, didn't like the idea and her father spoiled her, but she always had the sugar. And we grew up that way. We had unfettered access to sugar, uh, the sugar bowl, we would pour, you know, it was insane, really. And we would pour half an inch in the bottom of your Cheerios and your cornflakes in the milk, it was nuts. And so we didn't think anything of it. And um, uh, there's a great YouTube video, Eric Clapton. <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw this thing. So Ed Bradley of 60 Minutes is in uh, um, uh, there, and his, his Antigua Treatment Center, $7 million. He built it to help people. The great guitar player. And he says, Ed Bradley says, so Eric, this uh, addiction thing, this started with heroin, right? And Ed, or <laughs> Eric Clapton goes, no, Ed, it started with sugar. I would use anything... I could to change my state. At five and six years old, I was eating bread and butter and sugar sandwiches, and we used to eat those things, right? Um, Mostly there wasn't any food around the house except bread and butter and sugar, so that's what we ate. Anyway, fast forward, I ran into beer at 14 or 15, and uh, that I knew changed my state. The sugar I had been eating it so long, I didn't realize it was ubiquitous. It was free, pretty much and I could ingest it anytime I wanted. So when I felt sad or depressed or down or mad or angry or happy, I would you know, use sugar to accentuate or, or, or tamp down those feelings. But the beer, I really knew. And, and, you know, I could talk to girls that was kind of shy. And fast forward, and we can talk about that. I'm an open book, but um, about 28 years old, I got sober. And um And I realized that in the around the recovery rooms that people were gaining weight really fast. And so was I, and I was a thin kind of health guy. And I was gaining weight and my face was getting worse, you know, acne and rosacea and whatever. And so I started to read a little bit and started, and I discovered a book called Sugar Blues. And Sugar Blues was written by a guy. He was at a party one time and a voice from behind said, I wouldn't have that stuff in my house, let alone my body. He was putting two lumps of sugar in his coffee, right? The voice was Gloria Swanson, the movie star. right? And so they got married and they promoted that book in the late 70s and early 80s. And I was fascinated by it. And so I went on to raise a couple of sugar-free kids um, from the womb till they were six years old. How I talked my wife at the time into doing that, I'll never know to this day. Um, but we did pull it off and it was a great experiment. I could tell you about that if you like. But and about 10, I had a regular life, a regular business career. I've been sober 35 years and my, you know, I've been sugar free, caffeine free, and flour free for over 30 years. But about 10, and I had a regular life for 25, 20 of those years. And I bought the domain sugaraddiction.com about 10 years ago. And I started getting the best information out there that I could for folks. And that brings us up to today, except for about three years ago, like the first seven years, I literally was, like I said, giving out the best information I possibly could, but I wasn't getting, I mean, people would take it and run with it and, you know, I'd get good, nice emails. But when I started having more online groups and that kind of stuff, and really a building a community, you know, similar to my recovery communities that were uh, in real life, if the kids call it IRL, or you know, uh, they the, the started to work and, and people really have, we've have a lot of success stories now. So that's the podcast version. I mean, I can answer and usually brings up more questions than it answers. Yeah, no doubt. The, you, you know, you can take it from there. So.
0: Sure. That's awesome. I think the first thing, you know, as a parent of an eight and five-year-old mm. um, and as someone you know, I can definitely relate to the, you know, I never totally thought about how my relationship to sugar as a kid translated into my drug addiction and sort of mm. substance use. Yeah. Um. So when you were, as you were describing that, it sort of was, things were popping up in my head, but maybe, yeah, let's just start with that. Yeah. I mean, what a feat to raise sugar-free kids up to that age and, and, Let's start there. I mean, what in the world, how in the world did you deal with all the, you know, Halloween or kids, you know, lunchtime at school, right. friends, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that sounds to pretty difficult.
1: Yeah, no, it was. It was a war, literally a war against their grandparents, their own grandparents, the, the, the parents of. Friends, children, friends, you know, they go over for play dates or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the Montessori schools, everyone thought that we were tri- depriving them of something, you know, that they were deprived of a childhood or whatever. It's just ridiculous. I mean, it's just the most ridiculous yeah. concept I've ever heard. And this is a long time ago, you know, and and they even never had, you know, at past six, they only, we never had it in the house. They could only have it at outside birthday parties and they would literally get ill. I mean, they would be sick, and they would talk about why, and, and then and they began to understand it by eight, nine, or ten, that, you know, they, they couldn't, they didn't want to eat it, you know, they would not eat it at parties, and so, we, you know, it was really a tough go, and, and I, in my work, the fastest thing we've ever done online is a little website, little page on Facebook, Sugar-Free Kids, right, and uh, people are always asking me, how did I do it, the same question, right, and I, and I always have to divide it into two, and the two is, starting with never having sugar. Now, look, we, we're up to five years old, we feed our kids, okay? They're not going to the store. They're not getting their lunch money or whatever and buying candy. They they don't have access to anything but what you give them. And it's just not that hard at that level, especially in these days when they don't go anywhere. They don't, you know, they don't go out, they're, they're with you. And, you know, I get interesting, both podcast guests and other women who are pregnant or looking to become pregnant, they, they, they grasped this. And this at the end of the day, 20 years, the end of my life, or whatever, this is what I want to accomplish is to have sugar pre-pregnancies. And so my kids didn't know what it was, Mike. They had no idea what it was. And they didn't care. People would walk us up, walk up to us in restaurants and they're eating like cucumbers and to, you know what they're eating vegetables and like <laughs> right off their their high chair and they're how do you get your kids to eat that stuff i'm like you don't give them anything else it's like they don't they're happy with it, they're very happy with it and they acquire a taste for it right and i also believe that their brain this is i like to scare people a little bit i believe their brain develops better my kids are rocket scientists smart you know for perfect scores on their sat mark zuckerberg bill gates kind of stores and uh it's like their, their brain, that first thousand days, the brain is growing so fast. And now all the science says that the brain uh, growth in those first thousand days is so important. And that sugar is now affecting all of the brain neurochemicals. And uh, you know they say diabetes three is Alzheimer's and that kind of thing. So, and then the second half of the kids, if they've already started, if you're coming in and they've had three five seven eight ten nine 10, nine years w- with sugar, that's another challenge in and of itself. It's it's a, it really is something that's a, uh, it's a fight. And, and you have to, it, here's the main uh, solution to that. And because kids are smart. My mom had a stash and I knew where it was. And so do other, you know, and they, you can't do that. do what as I say, and don't do as I do because they are smart as heck. They know they can smell it on your breath. I mean, they know, you know. And so you gotta put your own oxygen mask on first. You gotta get, you know, you gotta, this has to be a family thing. And if that happens, you can tackle it. I have a coach that works for us. She has a nine-year-old and nowadays that nine-year-old knows that when she gets a tummy ache coming from a birthday party, they talk about it. And she's a little proselytizer now. She's a little uh, little fan of the no sugar process and she's only nine years old. And she was, this is a true story, their grandma, her grandmother, the woman's mother owns a bakery, and she's always still bringing stuff for the husband, and trying to entice the granddaughter. So, and, you know, and they made it out. So, yeah, you know, I mean, and again, it's, it's one of the things you'll, 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 I think, maybe get a kick out of this, Mike, is I, I came up as an abstinence-based guy, okay, in recovery from alcohol and drugs. I used to go to these Black Belt AA meetings, and the guys were older, and I'd say, sit down, shut up. You don't have a right to talk. (laughs) And I'd say, don't worry about the damn sugar. If you're sober today, Mike, I say, yeah, don't worry about the sugar. So, but when the, when the um, opioid crisis came around, I softened quite a bit and I was, you know, open to the idea of Suboxone and that kind of thing. And, and because you got to be alive to recover, right? And so I, you know, have applied the same thing now to sugar because I worked with late stage sugar addicts, food addicts for most of my, at the beginning of the, you know, early days. And now I'm starting to believe that, you know, there's normies out there. They may have had uh, uh, distressed use or too much use and they've gained weight and they could just stop. And And then there's food addicts, right? So I'm kind of focuses on both groups and f- harm reduction for children, I think is the most brilliant, progressive, uh, enlightened thing a parent can
0: do so yeah yeah that's really thoughtful and helpful my wife and if you could say she can say i'm gonna eat that piece of chocolate and then i'm not gonna have another one (laughs) (laughs) a normie yeah she's a normie no doubt and i i appreciate that perspective um so many so many questions and curiosities running through my head Um, where to start i think i'm curious so for you know the substance recovery communities the abstinence based abstinence based ones i'm curious in your experience and i try to relate this to myself so i definitely have i eat more sugar than i should and I get the same similar experiences of, perhaps I get a trigger and I feel bad about something or I'm experiencing shame or like some some uncomfortable emotion. And then of course the food soothes that. And while I'm consuming the food or the sugar, I'm quite aware that that's what I'm doing and I'm trying to be mindful and present and experience that sort of process. And that does help me not eat the sugar sometimes. What For you, is it the same, because I struggle with this, is it the same mechanism in some sense or decision making process that you would put towards like alcohol or something that you would put towards sugar? Kind of like this, for me it's so difficult to to put them in the same bracket because the suffering Mm -hmm. I experienced from eating too much sugar, certainly doesn't compare at least to the suffering I experienced from consuming,
1: you know, mind and mood altering drugs. Mm -hmm. No, that's a great question. It's a very enlightened question. It's a fair question. And I have a complex answer a little bit, but
0: um,
1: in the world of substance use disorder, uh, there's a very known, very, well-known and very well followed precept or construct or tenet and that is if you started using drugs and alcohol when you were 14 or 15 or 16 years old that's when you started you stopped growing emotionally right that's it's very well known it's not any mystery to anyone who's ever been to a treatment center even even you know it gets disseminated in 12-step stuff so people say you know well I'm a 30 year old, 18 year old or whatever, you know, they have this idea of like, it's cool. And that's true. And so what you have to think about if you've ever talked to someone who has lost two or 300 pounds, or has really a true uh, a food addict and has biochemically, they cannot ingest processed food, flowers or sugars, because they can't stop uh, you and, and has now got recovery fall into a right sized body. And Uh, worked hard on the recovery, they'll say the exact same thing. They had to grow, they had to start, you had to grow emotionally, right? And so think about it. You started this process when you were a baby, maybe in the womb, probably in the womb. And you have been pounding your, if you're just average, you've been pounding your dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, GABA, uh, even your adrenal glands for decades. And you have affected those brain reward chemicals in your nucleus accumbens and you you know like you say you 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 have an awareness now you're you you know you're you're an educator you're you know you're a therapist you're you know in recovery so you have an awareness but it's still something that you do right and so think about it um uh if someone one of the things i find is if someone truly can get 90 days of abstinence i mean no flour, no sugar, no caffeine, because caffeine is one of the worst. I mean, as far as the same brain reward chemical uh, hijackings uh, and pause comes into effect, post-acute withdrawal syndrome, because it takes a long time to rewire and regroove those neural pathways. Uh, If you can get 90 solid days, we have screwed up your flour, sugar, and caffeine forever, because when you re, if you re-ingest, even by accident, you'll get this Heightened sense of well being, you'll get this heightened sense of calm and peace with the world, and all is right with the world. I call it the perfect drug, right? Because it's <laughs> subtle enough, te- you know, uh, hits the dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine in such a way that you just feel ah, relaxed, right? And so when you let that, when when you realize that that's the actual effect and that by the time you reach someone our age, they're only just fighting off withdrawals, just like regular drugs. They're just trying to get back to normal. They are not like getting the full effect of the psychological, the, the psychoactive power of this psychoactive drug, right? But when they are clean as an adult for a solid 90 days or 120 days and they get an ingestation they realize now just like cocaine in the in the last few years or last few months of your cocaine the stuff only lasts about 20 minutes and then you're crashing you're napping you're depressed you're anxious the next day you feel like crap like you had a hangover like you had 10 beers if you can get out of that cycle for just long enough you'll understand what the you know what the true power of the psychoactive drug is, and why the problems exist with obesity in the world because the fructose molecule. Let's you know, your folks that you know the regular table sugar is half fructose and half glucose, right? And we all know what the body does, what happens with insulin resistance, diabetes, weight gain. Uh, probably Alzheimer's and all, metabolic syndrome, everything that happens from the glucose. But what is little less known, and what is now really coming to the fore, is this pro, this construct that, for me, and I've asked some of the biggest educators in the world on my summits that you know is fructose a psychoactive drug? And the answer is right away yes. So here we have fructose and high fructose corn syrup, right, which is even worse, and agave, which is 90, 80, 90% fructose, affecting the nucleus accumbens. So this is where the psychoactive part comes in, right? And plus, when you raise the insulin, you're going to get that kind of beer, I need whiskey kind of feeling. I don't know, that like only an audience like here's would understand that. It's like you drink eating a little sugar or flour with, you know, and you're raising your insulin, you're going to start looking for some something more powerful, which is fructose, which fructose can only be processed in the liver, just like alcohol, right? So you've got alcohol, you've got fatty liver disease, this is an alcoholic's disease in eight, nine, 10 year old children, okay? Because the only place the fructose can be processed is in the liver. So it's this science that's exploded in the last five years that is really if understood deeply especially by recovering folks i love going on these podcasts because they get the first half of the process they already been off of drugs they get the the, the emotional and the da, da, da. and so yeah. but the general public it's a long slog to get them through you might be an addict, right? You might be addicted. Now, I try and like soften it by saying it might be nicotine and not heroin, but they still do not like, and no one, we didn't, I didn't like it. You probably didn't like it being an addict, right? So anyway, it's a, again, I could go on for hours about it and I probably rambled a little there, but you get the idea that this is much more serious than people take it.
0: Can you explain the difference between, you know, it's funny. I have sh- sugar and caffeine right in my left hand here, but, um, <laughs> You're normal. That aside. Yeah. I, that's for sure. Uh, um, cause I, I, I guess my wife and I have these conversations sometimes with my wife and even with her kids. So she, I mean, thank goodness for her because she's very good around the food stuff, but, mm. What's the difference between eating an apple, or you know, a strawberry, and eating candy? And the difference with the sugar and how that impacts? Like obviously, silly question, but I think for a lot of people, not it's sort all. of still,
1: yeah, not What's at the all. The difference with that, question. yeah, not at all. A silly yeah. question. And one of the another one that I get a lot of blowback on is that pushback on is that um, I ask folks to during the first 30, 60, 90 days, just try and stay off of a lot of heavy fruit, especially you can't drink fruit juice. That's like a Coca-Cola. It, it yeah. hits the liver exactly the same. So fruit juice is completely out. Um, Even like cold pressed, like, anything, like if you- Anything, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, hitting four oranges, hitting the, and here it's back to what I just discussed It's the fructose. Now I have to bring you on a little anthropo- anthropological <laughs> lesson Sure. Well, um, and <laughs> in your, in your folks can get the real depth of it. Um, well, the, the doc's name is Dr. Gary Fetke, F-E-T-T-K-E, is in Tasmania, of all places. But he's got a YouTube video called, Is Fruit Good for You? And the, uh, and the quick version of that is, for 300 years, we have hybridized fruit. For what? For fructose, for sweetness. That's the only sweetness in nature, right? And right. so think about a, 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 a navel orange, right? This thing has no seeds. It cannot propagate in nature. It is a produced product. It is a, pro, it's a uh, uh, processed food, basically. Okay, it's almost straight fructose. Um, it has to be engineered. It has been engineered. Back in the day, animals and us included in that we would go and clean like the crab apples or the blueberries the wild stuff in a day or two and that would give us a little bit of fructose it would help disseminate the seeds it was a very ecological you know beautiful thing and but for 300 years we have hybridized everything from apples to banana banana and back at you know 200 years ago, you couldn't even eat it. It was just a seed pod. There was very little of the fruit around it. There was a little, but if you could see it, it looked nothing like a banana today. And so over the years, this fructose part of the diet, which was, like I said, only supposed to be used once a year, twice a year, maybe, and three times if you wanted to risk going into a beehive, you get it for honey. <laughs> it's like, you, you, you just didn't have that. That's why when fructose hits the liver and, the, and the, all the brain reward stuff, we are attracted to it. Babies are attracted to it because mother's milk is sweet. And so we are attracted to it. Nothing in nature is poisonous that has fructose in it, right? So we are attracted to it, but we are attracted to minute yearly amounts and not stuff that's been like cocaine processed into a white powder or a granulated form, okay? And again, people in the carnivore movement, and I'm not, but I just, you know, I I study all of them and the keto movement start to understand the, the use of fructose, like you're doing all you can in the fruit, in the uh, whatever you eat meat and everything, but you're still pounding this fruit because quote unquote, it's good for you. And it keeps the cravings for regular sugar alive. And the reason it does is because of the fructose. So that's the short version of that, but it's, you know, it is complex and people are, and part of Dr. Fecky's talk is that you know, 40 or 50 years ago, it was the green grocer and some beautiful marketing uh, scheme, it became fruits and vegetables, right? And so, yeah, I mean, it's like, and I get a lot of pushback on this, Mike. I mean, just a lot of people saying that that can't be possible. And Gary's wife, Belinda, did the research on this too, and she's writing a book, But and how the evolution of this kind of got into our diet Um, And this hybridized stuff got into our diet and leads to it's that same, you know, drinking beer, looking for whiskey kind of thing, or drinking whiskey, looking for cocaine, you know, you're, you're the same kind of thing. It it just keeps the cravings alive and it makes it harder to quit.
0: Yeah, that's fast. Excuse me. Um, Are you familiar with um, Alan Carr's easy way to stop smoking?
1: I do know quite a bit about Alan's work and he's very popular in Great Britain, um, like like equivalent to Weight Watchers kind of guy in Great Britain. He's very famous, but yeah. Yeah, because when you were saying,
0: and I never really thought about it either that, so he says with nicotine, smoking, all smoking is is the cessation of withdrawal symptoms, basically. Correct. And that's what you said about the sugar. Yeah. And and uh, you know, sort of (laughs) things are presented to our to to at least I have the sense that information's presented to me or when I'm open to receive it in a certain way, it hits me in a certain way. And so when you said that about the sugar, I kind of had one of those god mm. damn it you know <laughs> like, <laughs> well if more people uh, would look
1: at it that way and uh, Carr's work is very famous i mean he's uh yeah put everything kind of not i mean he has books on about five or six different things you want to he quit. does
0: yeah yeah the smoking was the i read that book five or six times i got the audio book uh, you know because i used to smoke cigarettes too and just it was really helpful and that idea that all you're doing is I mean, I assume that was similar to other substance use, but um, yeah, you're all you're doing is, yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and people, <sighs> because it's so ubiquitous, because it's almost free, you can get it anywhere for less yeah. than a buck. You know, it's no yeah. problem to satiate your your withdrawals because, you know, you're going into a meeting, you got kids, you can't, you know, you don't have time. I mean, literally, if you, if anyone stops, if I've ever tried this to quit flour, sugar and caffeine at the same time, days two, two through five, you are incapacitated. You are have headaches. You are depressed, literally physically depressed. Now, you're not really depressed, like you don't have a psychological disorder. You're having a yeah. dopamine yep. meltdown, you know. Right. You, can't, you, can't get any, you can't pump at the system manually. So you gotta let it heal up. And that takes time. Literally. I mean, people are saying, you know, and I believe it now, it takes a year to rewire your brain. And in that time, you gotta exercise, hydrate, eat whole food. Uh, you know, amino acids have said to help, but I'm, you know, I'm still studying that right now.
0: Sure. And can you, what would be your typical day? Like, what do you eat on a daily basis? What does the
1: sugar-free guy eat? Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So now I don't suggest this for anyone uh, in the first 30, 60, 90 days, because uh, intermittent fasting is a setup for uh, binging in the early days, because you're just you have to get stable, your blood sugar right. and your power of uh, resisting cravings and that kind of stuff. So you can't fast. So that, I want to put that. It's not something that's for the beginning of your program. Okay. This is, you still need to eat three square meals a day. But me, I've come to believe, uh, you know, personally, that I don't really eat till one or two o'clock. I mean, I, I don't eat in the morning. I drink a lot of water. I drink at least a liter, maybe two every morning, uh, while I'm working get up and I start thinking about food about noon or, you know, after that, maybe. Um, and have from, you eaten today? No, no. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I couldn't resist it's, asking you that, question. but it's only 10 30. I'm in <laughs> the Pacific coast. So, okay. Still, okay.
0: Cool. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, no worries. <laughs> and, 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 and actually you function a little bit better, I think too, uh, during your like creative time, the time that, you know, you're pushing work out, good work. Anyway, um, so at lunch, I eat usually, uh, it's, it's 90% of the time leftovers. I eat celery, almost the whole sleeve of celery, um, the whole stock, like everything, like, the, like you, <laughs> you buy in the store. I take the middle out and it's funny, my partner, she likes the outside. So I eat the inside, she eats the outside. And then I have an avocado. And then I have like a pile of whatever, I make enough at dinner at night of greens. Um, whatever the greens are. Um, kale, rapini, collards, uh, love Brussels sprouts, those kinds of things. And then I have whatever small amount of protein or fat or whatever that is left over: fish, chicken, whatever, and, and that's my lunch. And then I don't eat again until dinner, which is 7 or 8, 6 or 7 or 8 o'clock. And that is the same thing, like a large pile of greens and chicken, fish or, or beef. And, uh, and that's it, you know, I don't snack, I don't eat anything in between. I think one of those phrases I love the most is that snacking is not a nutritional event, it's an emotional event, okay? You do not need to snack, you do not eat, eat you know. I'm a big fan of no caffeine because I just see people, the old wired together, fired together thing, meaning that if you're, you know, hot chocolate, cocoa, Coffee, chocolate—they're all both caffeine and chocolate is so perfect a drug because it takes the edge. When we're talking about the uh, uh, having withdrawals or satiating or yeah. stopping withdrawals, so chocolate will take the edge off of both sugar and caffeine. So think about it. So you got your coffee in the morning, right? And you're like, I can't drink coffee. It's five in the afternoon. I'll, I'll never get to bed. So you have just a piece of chocolate takes the edge off, right? Just like having a beer, uh, takes the edge off, and I'll both do both your sugar withdrawals and your caffeine withdrawals. So yeah, I mean it's uh, snacking is not meant required, and I'm not a big fan of coffee and tea. Uh, you know, I drink water. I've got a, you know a huge water collection. I collect water from all over the world, and water can be very cool flavored water, not, I don't a fan of flavored water, but bubbly water, or regular water, and water really does taste different, you know, and so once you get off of the coffee, tea, and all this kind of stuff, and one of the things that I would like to discuss in your, and I think you actually mentioned it in some of your questions, maybe you're building up to this, but, you know, one of the things that's happening now in our work is this, you know, everybody comes for the uh, weight loss right there the body the diabetes and all this but really all these things we're talking about really affect the mental health of people right people um, I've seen people get off flour sugar and caffeine and get off meds psychotropic SSRIs and uh, and that's what a lot of people are really thinking about and talking about these days so but yeah I mean it's uh, I'm not a I'm just a two meal a day kind of that's it kind of guy I don't. Need <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I think the positive mental health impacts are so hard for people to comprehend. Even, I think my, personally, I can probably experience, so I have managed to do intermittent fasting from time to time, but what you describe is I'm a pretty good case point for that. I don't necessarily binge, but I, because I'm still eating all that you know consuming caffeine and other carbs and flour Mm. sugar etc um i get thrown off easily or or resisting the uh impulse or the draw to eat Mm. is so difficult after a little while or etc i do remember before my second child was born i managed to do the um The caveman diet what's that called again the uh, paleo paleo, thank you i did that for a few months and i was shredding weight um but you know fell off fell off that one pretty quickly too because i think i was still drinking coffee Mm. um but anyhow i where was i going oh yeah so in those experiences i i can i've had moments of clarity in some sense that i may not have had while eating all this crap, mm. um, and certainly through the fasting, I've had moments of clarity where you know, the mood, our moods are much more balanced and and sort of I'm not as irritated and all those kind of things, which have a huge impact on mental health. Mm. And it's so hard for us collectively, I think, to just even comprehend how that happens because mm. it's so hard to get through that initial, yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's just a comment or a question, but you know, part of me is very curious about ah, here, maybe it's a good thing to ask you, because you probably get this all the time. You know, in the back of my head, I think, you know, maybe I need to sign up for Mike's program after this podcast (laughs) and give it a try. But like for me, there's a big fear, fear of and the similar Alan Carr talks about it and any addiction, substance recovery. But I, the fear of, oh, no, I'm going to miss something or I'm going to mm. lose something. Mm-hmm. But Alan Carr flips that around to no, you gain, you gain health, you gain money, you gain re- self-respect and all that stuff. So sure. Yeah. H- how do you sort of help people walk through that or maybe reframe that? Like that fear of no, no that need to have.
1: reframe it. It's a great question. And it, it's the, the main question, genuinely. It's do I have to do this for the rest of my life? <laughs> and, I, and I do, again, that I think we talked before, and we not, may not have been recording, but um, uh, it's like I always look at how we got in here, how we got here, in order, and the, the lessons of history on how to get out, right? It's an anthropological look for sure. It's to see like, how did we get to a situation like this? And it's like um, the, the story that I told you about the fruit, but the same kind of story exists. It, and that's really, honestly, strangely enough, that first book that I mentioned, Sugar Blues, talks about um, going, growing the largest empire in the world uh, in Great Britain and, and UK by going with empty ships to Africa, picking up slaves, going to the Caribbean and South America, picking up sugar, rum and molasses and growing something that El Chapo never could have even dreamed of. Something that allowed them to take over the entire world almost, literally to colonialize the entire world because they had so much money. Uh, They were making so much money on this addictive substance. And there is literature that talks about like generational people that were alive 60, 70 years back then, doctors who talked about this plague of caffeine and this plague of sugar and what it was doing to them because they could see it generationally in the 16th and 1700s, right? And so fast forward to now, we have since the 1950s and 60s, even before that, but seriously, after World War II, the the producers, of uh, K-rations for the troops uh, were supplemented and, uh, you know, they, they were built up and boistered up so that the troops had food and everything. And then they didn't have anything to do. They they, they, they literally, when the war ended, they didn't. Have, so they had to go, they had to figure out a business. And then Harvey Kellogg did the same thing with Kellogg's, with the, the cereal stuff and changed the... Um, change the focus of what breakfast is. And that's, I can't even go down that rabbit hole because it'll blow your mind. But I'm, I'm, I'm telling you all this to tell you that for 300 years since the British um, uh, you know, st- built this cartel, um, everything has evolved. And now we're in a situation 300 years later where no one has ever lived that understands a world without sugar flour, caffeine, um, in, a, in a, the way that we, and, and the products just kept coming. And in the 80s, the uh, cigarette companies were having a difficult time. And so they bought up all the food companies, right? And I don't know if you know this, but there's sugar inside of cigarettes. It helps make it, they, so they burn. Um, and you can, you're I actually just burnt cigarettes, like smoking cracks, sugar, you know? And so that was, so they understood the addiction model and there's literal campuses, okay, giant campuses where people get slid into MRIs and they can see the the addictive properties of the sugar, flour, caffeine combination. They're looking for the bliss point for people. So there's an, there's A, there's an enemy, but B, there's also, um and indoctrination and culturation, something that no one has ever been on the other side of. And one of the things that I find about the people that succeed, they're trailblazers in their world, in their life, in their school, in their athletics, in their family. They don't give a crap what other people think or say. And they're willing to listen to this whole story and understand that the possibility exists. Is may, there's no, what is it the the guru says? There's no There's no great benefit to being well adjusted to a sick society, kind of thing. And if you look at it and see the obesity rate, the obesity rate in children, that, um, you know, uh, sugar consumption, sugar, sweetened beverages are going down, um, meat is going uh, down. I mean, things are changing, trends are happening, but we still keep getting fatter and sicker. And it just keeps happening. And so, that the answer really in the science of it all has to do with the metabolic syndrome stuff of flour, sugar, and caffeine, you know? And so if people were to understand that part and take the time to look at it in that 45,000 foot view and, and look at it that way, and then bring it down to their, their own micro level, their own body, their own family, they, they would get it better instead of this stigma and you and i are probably both on the same page with stigma reduction for food people and food for substance use disorder right but it's time now to have uh, that type of reduction in stigma for people who i mean you quit drinking good job you quit smoking all right good job you quit using sugar they're like what are you crazy you know they're like they just like like you got to explain yourself yeah i mean you go vegetarian Good job, whatever, you know, change in your diet, they're all okay, except when you cry and quit sugar, because people are, they're pushing it on you. They made it for you. They did, you know, first of all, they, can, they know they got to look at themselves. And just like you, if you've ever, I'm sure you've been to many uh, recovery type meetings. When you get inside of a group of people who have recovered, then these discussions are normal. They're, they're, it's normalized, and you don't get grief for quitting. You get support for quitting. It's just the you know the outside world is so now in, enculturated, adapted to this that we just don't know another way. And only free thinkers, real free thinkers, get the opportunity to look at the world differently, to look at their life differently. Uh, and, and that's how I think we change by podcasts like this, getting this kind of message out. So again, a lot rambling answer to a short question, but yeah.
0: no, well, none of these, none of the, it takes time to kind of describe all these things. And, and right. I think that's another difficulty around getting this into more people's Awareness, perhaps, is just we don't take time to sit and think about things and to do things, you know. And it's, huh, the, you know, I don't know what the answers are. More conversations like this, in some sense.
1: Well, um, I mean, this is, I mean, it takes me and has taken me an hour to do this setup, you know, or whatever, 45 minutes. I can't, I don't got any taglines like meat is murder, right? Whatever friends don't let friends drive drunk. You know, I don't have these taglines that will succinctly tell the story that I've told, right? And as someone yeah. who listened to the story, especially someone who's been in recovery, they're like, hmm, "Damn that guy! Why did he say all that stuff?" You know, because certain parts of it click with them, right? And then they, you know, they have the courage. But then they, you know, again, the average person who doesn't have an addiction background, they're going to be like. I'm not an addict, I, you know, they're not even going to accept it, right? They're just, it's totally. going to take a while to get them. And, and when the pain, it's like any addiction, right? When the pain is enough, when you're hundred pounds overweight and you want to do something and you've watched your mother die of whatever, all of the diseases that we talk about um, and you're hundred pounds overweight, then sometimes folks want to do something. Then they're willing to listen to be. Maybe I am an addict. Maybe I am a sugar addict. You know, maybe this addiction thing means something. It, so it takes time to, uh, to, and you have to keep telling the story over and over and over and over again, because there's no other way. Because it's not, you know, a, a soundbite kind of deal, right now. yet. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know why I like telling yeah. the story, so I don't. Yeah. It's not a problem, but, uh, you know, some people anyway i I, I, know the
0: stories are good and i think the stories are good the sound bites are bad because they just uh, they they paint a simplistic picture of a complex situation i think the i would say one big thing is and i i try to remind i'm so many thoughts running through my mind but the idea of the freedom or the health benefits or the positive emotion or the more balanced mood, all those, those are the outcomes of changing your diet or changing your habits and all that kind of Mm. stuff. And maybe painting that picture, I think quite clearly is helpful. I wonder how maybe you could explain in some ways how you take people through the initial process of kind of commitment to trying trying out these different lifestyles and what it sort of looks like and some of the barriers that people have when or difficulties they have kind of climbing through sure the journey well, I'd
1: be happy to but I would like to add uh, like address it, what you just said about the uh, yeah uh, the mental health and the freedom um, yeah I don't know if you ever heard the phrase I love it I think it came from the 12-step stuff but we came for the vanity and we stayed for the sanity. <laughs> like people always come for the weight loss or the you know uh, better skin or whatever, but they're when they do testimonials or when they talk about their recovery, it's always about the freedom. The 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 sugar's not or whatever drug whatever the sugar's yeah. not renting free space in their head. Should I get it? Should I hide it? Should I not eat it? Should I right. it? Did, 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 did I exercise enough so I could have the you know this like constant like. Uh, it's it's annoying as hell it's like it's just like you know any drug addiction worse in a lot of ways because you got to separate it you got to separate the food stuffs out and 75 percent of food stuff have sugar in it so you, you know there's a lot more thinking involved like if you can just put the plug in the jug and stay away from you know, crack houses you can quit those two things but this stuff yeah, you got to yeah. take that tiger out three times a day and and walk them you know you got to say well, this breakfast food I can eat. This breakfast food I can't. Okay, I'm at a restaurant. You know, a lot of thinking involved. But uh, yeah, so I mean, it's uh, the benefit that people like the most is the mental freedom when they get far enough away. Because at the beginning, and I'll start on describing how we walk through. It's all physical. Yeah. It's all physical. And when I say all physical, I mean the mental part is all physical too. Meaning that you are. What they call the the dopamine receptors, we'll just just deal with one. This is your feel good thing, um, is that they are down regulated. They're thinned out. You have less of them. Okay. And it takes time to heal them back up. So here, you're kind of on a flat affect, affect, whatever that, you know, kind of flat for a while, right? You don't have joy. You get a good joy if you can really do a good uh, workout of weights or you know, run or something that you'll get a little bit of euphoria for a little time, but that'll, that'll come off. And, you know, athletes have an easier time because they have this muscle memory that they can go back to, to, and they can uh, recreate the, and I want to use the word buzz, but it is the uh, recreate the euphoria of exercise, uh, instead of having been able to reach for it with a sugar product. And so what we do is like, um, the first, uh, 10 or 15 days and it's different for everyone depending on your sugar habit but for the average person <clears throat> between days two and seven you're just if you go all the way flour sugar caffeine you are incapacitated you shouldn't be working you shouldn't even be parenting you should be just like <laughs> resting drinking water walking you know getting some exercise and sleeping a lot because you're deprived of sleep you will you, even with just sugar you're deprived of sleep so you got to get through the, <clears throat> excuse me, the first part, you have to. Um, and you have to get to uh, 30, 60 or 90 days. I prefer 90, um, but 30 helps. And you, 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 a lot happens in 30 days, weight loss, uh, skin clearing, uh, brain fog clearing, sleep's better. Um, and that happens pretty rapidly. Uh, and so you got to get through it. And you've got to like, there is a little bit of uh, stick is a little bit of commitment to get through that because it's just not gonna feel right. You're gonna feel like you say, you're, you're, in, you're gonna be in withdrawals and pause comes in post-acute withdrawal syndrome. Sometimes there's a very mature caffeine. We've started our own, but the one that's very mature and only got a couple thousand people in it on, on Facebook. And it, I mean, these guys talk about like they're coming off amphetamines. I mean, we're talking about habits with, uh, you know, five and 10 cups a day kind of, but still um, uh, even people with smaller habits. So these drug-like analogies are so apt and so important for folks. And so my job I see is to simplify them, to, um, shall I say, make them softer uh, so that people can at least get to see the other side benefit. Once they get to 90 days, I think I've said this before, but if they get to 90 days full abstinence, their world has changed, their life has changed. They're ups, it's upside down, and they can't now they people slip and they fall off and whatever, but they mostly come back because they they've they've seen the benefits and they don't want to live a life where they have to chase down coffee before they go into a meeting, or spill it on themselves, or they don't—they just don't want that life anymore. And they've <laughs> lost—you know—they've lost weight. Their skin, you know, things have cleared up. Um, and you know, one of the things we talked about earlier is like parents do not want to pass this malady on to their children. They, when they start to see their kids at six and five and four and ten, you know, overweight, um, doing the same thing, behaviors. Sometimes that's a motivation which is cool. I, I'll use anything. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to put it this way, but I'm not above using whatever I got to use, you know. I always try and like a good marketer, I want to drill into the problem. Like I'm like, did your parents die a diet? you know, did your parents, what's your parents story? Like, oh, my mom had diabetes, you know, like that. And like, you know, how, let me tell you, tell me about your weight history. Yo-yo up and down, up and down for 20 years. I'm like, okay. And so they kind of answer their own questions about that part of it. So you, you got to use, you got to be a little bit in recovery. They call it a bottom. Okay. And everybody has their own bottom and I believe in high bottom. So you can walk out of there anytime you want. You don't have to crash and you know, be in the hospital and be overweight and have a Dr. Fecky, the guy I like so much and my buddy there, he's like, he's an orthopedic surgeon. He has got tired of chopping people's feet off. And so that kind of dramatic uh, presentation helps in, in, in wooing people onto the other side. And I, I know it's it's a little harsh, but I, the denial is so strong because of the enculturation that we've talked about. Because everybody's doing it, you can give this product to a baby, to a one-year-old with no legal, moral, obligation, ethics, worries in today's society. The idea that somehow it's this dangerous and it won't get to you. It won't kill you for 20 or 30 years. It's very slow. It's very pl- plotting. I think the world changes on something called CGMs. You know what this is? No. GM is a continuous glucose monitor. It's a little non-invasive patch, like a nicotine patch. It does have a little pin in it, but if you put it on, and you can literally read when your glucose go, and you can get one for you can get one um, almost free if you have insurance. Just go in and tell them you're pre-diabetes, which 80% of the country is, so it's not hard. to get.
0: <laughs> and it's almost
1: free. But when people can see, and Amazon and Google are looking at these on their uh, non-invasive ones like a Fitbit, when these things happen for 100 bucks or 150 bucks the world's going to change because you can literally see your glucose levels on the inside of your body um, on your phone. And so, but we're not there yet. And, you know, people got to struggle to get one. It's kind of expensive. If you don't have insurance and you got to get a prescription and all this other stuff. But um, yeah, building that awareness, building that uh, fear of what it will do over long term is an important part of what we do.
0: Yeah, I think I I'm personally in the sort of I I I guess I'm one of those people who certainly is not at a bottom so to speak for my weight. I mean, I'd say I'm probably 15 pounds overweight, you know, mm. maybe hard to know exactly, maybe 15-20 pounds. I love the analogy of, you know, our bottom really is just when we decide to stop digging and, and not, <laughs> not needing it for it to get so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe this is just a really personal question. Just like
1: yeah.
0: how or what I'm really, I mean, I guess I kind of asked it, but for me, it's this sort of fear of loss rather than my awareness to what I would gain from it. Mm. And all the, all the discomfort of actually going through, you know, the initial process of withdrawal and all that other kind of stuff. And I'm
1: sure
0: I am resistant to that, but I know losing 20 pounds, you know, I'm losing 20 pounds. I would probably be much more, as you said earlier, which I really liked in a right size body. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And getting to that place would be lovely. Um I don't know what i have sort of. It's, it's oh, this is almost the process of my own denial playing
1: itself out, right? It's like I'm, I'm looking I'm for. Letting an you, I'm letting you do it. Uh, you are. <laughs> I'm not going to interrupt till you're done, because you're you're doing very well, and I will uh, give you a little props because I've been on the biggest addiction uh podcast uh, in the world, and fifty yeah. percent of all of the hosts were exactly where you are sober from quote unquote drugs and alcohol. Yeah. But this thing, you know, they were same thing, 15, 20, one of the ones, venture backed, big thing out of Silicon Valley kind of thing. They've been around for years, you know the name. Um, you know, she was just beside herself, you know, and, and especially she had the kids and stuff, that was a problem. But they all asked the same, you know, 50 percent of them asked the same question, and probably another 50 would have asked if they were ready, if they had the courage, you know. So it's yeah. it's you know, it's hard. That's why, like I, I think I, I don't know, I think I said it earlier, but when I went public with my substance use disorder, I had this flood of people into our programs um, because they could relate. That you know they'd been sober five, 10, 15 years, and but they couldn't put the sugar down. They literally couldn't. So it's uh, and that gives me an indication of the strength of the addiction and the like. I keep coming back to the enculturation of the yeah. what you'd be missing, right? And what you would be missing seems to be a lot. Meaning, I couldn't have birthday cake with my kids or my wife or whatever. I couldn't, you know, be at a wedding and 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 have the cake. You know, you. But here's the thing. It's like drinking. You probably relate. Hopefully you can relate to this. It's like after you get sober and you're sober like a good long time, you're like, you finally realizes nobody gives a shit what you're doing, what you're drinking. They're like, nobody even asked, you know, and these are people you don't know. So it's not like it's your family who you got, you know, reputation with. It's people you don't know. You're in a business convention or something. Nobody says, where's your drink? You know, nobody bothers you. And the same thing happens with the sugar, you know. And so your socialization, and, and honest to God, it's the second pro, pro, uh, program module program is the the socialization part, because it's hard at the beginning. There's a lot of no's that you'd rather not say. You know, I don't want to turn it down. Right. People made it for me. People bought it for me. Whatever. You know, it's a ritual. You got to have the cake. You know, you got to have the pumpkin pie Thanksgiving. Whatever. You know, it's just like these rituals that, like, if you if you draw back and go back 300 years, like that stuff didn't exist. And we can make our own um, rituals because we did it when we got sober, we had to. We don't go out with the boys no more. We don't do this, we don't do that. And I know I'm happier, I'm sure you are too. So, and sugar is exactly the same. And that's why this this melding of, um, like this is a true story. 95% 95% of all of the sugar educators out there come from the health world. They come from whatever emotional eating or um, keto, paleo, vegetarian, and they bolt it on because it's a thing now. It's a, you know, but they don't succeed because they don't have these analogies to the power of the addiction. And anybody that has a big habit any kind of real habit is probably leaning into having an addiction issue, right? And so it's very difficult to, uh, you know, for a health professional, quote unquote, to tackle this thing. And that is now changing, I wanna say, because many of the, almost all of the keto, um, for sure the keto, the live keto platforms before COVID, but even now are starting to include addiction type folks who are related, you know, who are, let's just use keto as an example, because this can be vegetarian, paleo, paleo, whatever, but they are keto based, but they couldn't stay on the keto diet because they couldn't get off the sugar. I had a guy, true story, the guy, hundred pounds he lost on keto. Right. And mostly because he tried to do the sugar, but he had 60 pounds left to lose. And he, like, until he understood, he was not, you know, addict, no way. I'm not, you know, until he understood that part of it, that's when he made, when we understood that it was affecting his emotions, it was a 12 year relationship with a woman. And when he wrote it all down, every time he was going for the M&Ms, it was about that relationship. And so when he finally put those two pieces of the puzzle together, dropped the 60, uh, you know, and hasn't had anything since but he you know and he was still eating keto at the time but he was also supplementing with m ms <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's hard uh, man it's hard yeah just yeah. like recovery was hard it's more hard of awareness than it is actually physically because physically is not as hard withdrawals are not as yeah. bad I mean they're hard but they're not as bad as like you got a real bad yeah. alcohol it's not the DTs or anything you know so, yeah, I don't know. Wow. It's, it's fun, but I, I, I get a kick out of it now. It's, it's like a game to me to kind of waltz people out. And people ask me, what's your business model? And like I said, I sort for people that are ready. Unless they're ready, like, you know, yeah. I just give them a refund because they're like, they're not going to do it anyway. I'm not. And the funny thing is that we treat them well and they get inside the forums and stuff and they're like, they remember it. We have what we call retreads, right? And they're like, they come back. So, I don't even worry about it. They come back eventually if they can at least see a little of it because they're like, "Uh," just like you, they're like, I can see their mind, brain turning. Like, yeah. Oh, man, Jesus. (laughs) Because they see the success stories, but then they're like, right? They don't, uh, it's not their time yet. I guess is the best way to put it. You know, it's not their time.
0: So, I'm cool. That is a
1: nice way to put it.
0: Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you so much for all this awesome info i know we're sort of at the hour mark even a bit over um i love do it do you want to know. okay cool amazing i was just going to sort of bring attention to you mentioned it earlier but the fact that you got sugaraddiction.com is a huge uh yeah. a huge uh, internet gem um and so i i'll sort of direct people and and all the your info will be in sort of on the landing page for the um website podcast page yeah. but um any other kind of information or stuff you want to share or or add to
1: all the things you've spoken about sure i don't know when this will play but we have a, a summit we've done yearly for six years it's uh, called the quit sugar okay. summit and we have all the top educators in the world dr lusta gary Tobbs, i mean the biggest of the big harvard cornell um we have a guy this year called, uh, uh, his name is Dr. Gorman. He's uh, from USC here in Los Angeles. And uh, he wrote a book called Sugarproof for Kids, uh, Sugarproofing. Or he's at sugarproofkids.com. And so, you know, we just every year we put that on. You can find it at quitsugarsummit.com. And uh, yeah, everything is at sugar addiction. The best way to do it is we, I have a book that's at the website. You'll see it right there, big yellow cover of the book. Just go to sugaraddiction.com. You'll see a book. You can download the book. It's free. And it'll give you like a lot of this information. It'll give you like, see if you're ready kind of thing if you want to do it. And uh, and then we'll send you a few emails about, you know, our other stuff. Right on. And when is the summit? Uh, I don't know when this airs, but th- it's January this year, January 11th. Okay. Yeah. And cool. uh, it's awesome. free for five days. You can watch all these guys. So it's, no, it's not no charge wow. or anything. Just watch it. And, uh Amazing. yeah, we get a lot of folks that because there's such an influx of scientists like Harvard, Cornell, they're like, who've been studying this in, in, in uh, obscurity for a long time. It's finally, you know, we're bringing that message out. So yeah. right on. I think one other nugget
0: that you shared in terms of the, what do we call it, the health diet Uh, industry so to speak or Mm -hmm. all these educators on that kind of stuff without that without the wisdom of how this really is and it's sort of an addictive in denial way of living your life Mm. that's a huge huge thing that never does get discussed i didn't really sort of think about that and also because i think particularly for kids in some sense it's just you also spoke about how this has just been normalized in our society so there is you don't know any different so we keep having this sort of quote-unquote rational dialogue that oh if you just eat healthier (laughs) and exercise blah 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 blah, everything's going to be
1: fine well you know the sugar producers have spent billions over the years to make sure that message stays out there so yeah yeah right now wow yeah, not. Cool.
0: Well, honestly, it's you know, it's like I've known you for a long time. After this <laughs> short conversation, I appreciate your time and your wisdom, and and um, yeah, thank you.
1: Well, thank you. I've enjoyed is. it. You, you, it's a uh, rare that I you know because I end up on health podcasts and stuff, and uh, most folks are not open to this idea. They 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 get a little anxious themselves and even talking about it because they want to know you know what's the food plan and how, what's the exercise plan you know and they're like the rest right. of it to them hasn't computed there are maybe normies and maybe health coaches or whatever and it's just yeah i mean you did you, uh your openness and and honesty about your own issues i think made it a much better episode for folks to listen to so appreciate it i hope so i hope so yeah
0: all right well i have small sense this will not be the last time that i speak to you well we can uh, we have one uh, of
1: the biggest podcaster addiction podcasters in the world going to do a uh uh, one of our challenges with her team with her with her listeners so if you think that might be a good idea we're going to try and set a world record in january um and we can, we Greg, the guy that or got with you, or I think he was Greg. Anyway, we can get with you and uh, talk to you about that. And you know, we can all do it together if you want. So think about it. Sure. Yeah. Please,
0: please yeah. do. I would love to at least. I don't know if I have the courage for that yet, but I, there it is again.
1: Like that's the fear talking. It's so fucking well, <laughs> it's, it's hard. So it's so ingrained. It's <sighs> doing this for many years. It's like, um, and this is with everything in your life, right? It's like, I'll just wait till January and I'll do my resolutions because the holidays is just, like right up on the holidays, like people just can't make a compute, you know? And that's okay, you know? So, yeah, yeah, it is. you know, January. Yeah. So be please, yeah,
0: send you. that info.
1: Okay,
0: I'll, I'll get back in touch and ask to be uh, hooked up to that info. I'd love and, it. And um, Okay. Thank you again, Mike. Thank you. Okay, take it easy. Bye-bye.